You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and welcome to episode number three of the Life After Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in wherever, whenever you are. My name is Brad Lieb. I am a former professional hockey player turned podcast host exploring the life after hockey journeys of other former players and highlighting some of the amazing cool things that they are creating, supporting and doing. And this podcast would not be possible without the Hockey Podcast Network, a network of individual podcasts that cover every single NHL market. Find them online at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com and follow them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. And I'd like to take a moment to thank last week's guest, Brock McGillis. Brock is the first male professional hockey player to openly come out as gay. And in the interview, Brock shared his desire and vision for the world of hockey to create an environment that everyone can feel good and be happy and enjoy and feel welcome. And Brock's mission has been to educate and humanize the issue around sexuality. And for more information on Brock's work, please go to brockmcgillis.com. And with that, that brings us to this week's guest, a conversation that I had with Brent Sopel. Brent Sopel is a Stanley Cup winner. He's played almost 700 games in the NHL with six different teams. And in his life after hockey, he's created the Brent Sopel Foundation that is dedicated to providing financial and educational assistance to help students with dyslexia and simply giving people with dyslexia the support they deserve. The stats are one in five are thought to be affected with dyslexia and one in 20 are identified. So Brent is doing an amazing job creating a voice for this cause. And for more information, please go to brentsopelfoundation.org and Brent also, we talk about the documentary that he has recently put out, Here to Change the World. And in my opinion, he is absolutely changing the world in this interview. He shares his thoughts on the support from the NHL and ideas for the league. And he also explains why smart people are dyslexic. And we also find out What means more to him than winning the Stanley Cup? So without further ado, here is my interview with Brent Sopel. Enjoy. All right, here we go. My guest today, he was born in Calgary, Alberta and grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. He's drafted 144th overall in the 1995 NHL entry draft by the Vancouver Canucks. 
He played 16 years pro with the Vancouver Canucks, the New York Islanders, the LA Kings, Chicago Blackhawks, Atlanta Thrashers, Montreal Canadiens. He was a Stanley Cup champion, helped bring the Stanley Cup back to Chicago in 2010 after 49 years. And he also played in the KHL and AHL before retiring in 2015. And recently, he released a documentary, Here to Change the World. I'm so honored to be talking with a former teammate of mine, Mr. Brent Sopel. Soaps, how you doing? I'm doing amazing. Thanks for having me, buddy. Good to see you. Thanks. Thanks for being here. I, I really do appreciate this. I really do uh, appreciate the work that you're doing and want to acknowledge it right off the bat. Your, your documentary really touched me and moved me in, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to uh, create a platform, another platform for, for your message. So, you know, before we get into it, how are you doing? Where are you at? And what, what's going on in the day, a day in the life of Brent Sopel these days? Well, you know, doing a great work, uh, you know, creating another platform for everybody. So congrats. And, uh, you know, thanks for letting me, you know, come on here and talk to you. I'm stuck in uh, beautiful, non-sunny Chicago. Um, I, you know, I stay here with uh, with kids. I got four kids, 16, 18, 22, and 30, and a six-month-old grandson. So they kind of dictate where I'm going to be. So I'm here in Chicago, and, you know, I'm doing great. It's been, uh, been a roller coaster, as you know, but, you know, releasing that documentary and, um, you know, I'm happy, I'm healthy. Uh, COVID's... Uh, been that great thing for myself and when I and when I would paraphrase that you know people that have died you know it's it's unfortunate you know rest in peace but take a lot of time for myself to do some work on myself and realize uh, self-evaluation and uh, you know things like that I, I I love it and I mean I'm I'm definitely an advocate for doing doing the work self-work so I I resonate with you on that for sure and and just to share uh, for the listeners, just to to reiterate, like the intention of this podcast is to explore the challenges and the successes of former pro hockey players and highlight the causes that that they're up to and and support the causes and give it give give their their voices more of a platform. And before we get into all that, starting with your career. This is called the Life After Hockey podcast. We'll start with hockey. After 16 years, almost seven, 700 games and a Stanley Cup, what are you most proud of? Looking back in your career, what are you most proud of in your career? Uh, that's an interesting uh, statement. If you would ask me that 10 years ago, it would be a completely different answer. Um, what am I most proud of is the platform. You know, and my, you know, your listeners are probably like, what are you talking about? It's allowed me to come talk to you. Mm. It's allowed me to start my own charity foundation. Um, you know, I've got some big plans, you know, on change some policies with my learning disorders. But if I didn't have this platform and guys like yourself, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to help people. So, yes, winning and standing up was amazing. And it was you know, a childhood dream. I'm sure you won it a million times on the outdoor rink. But just where I am today, you know, that platform is, means everything to me. I can totally understand. And, and, you know, I think that just speaks volumes to where your heart is these days and, and how much you, you value and, 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 and feel for your cause. And, you know, that kind of 
leads us to the documentary and and it's called here to change the world which may sound a little um i i don't know it it, it sounds very optimistic when i first heard it i'm like Honestly, it was like, he's going to change the world. I didn't understand it. After I watched it, totally different perspective. So please share with us what the title means to you and, and how that came to be. You know, being dyslexic, dyslexics are a big picture thinker. So um, I've been saying it for a number of years. I'm going to change the world. And people look at me, they kind of give me the, you know, tilt the head like a dog and like, look at me like I'm crazy. But that's my goal. And I've believed that for a number of years after I got sober, that's when my life changed. And I, I believed it for, for years that I'm going to change the world. And I've opened myself up. Um, I tell the story the way it is, the raw truth, because this is reality. And um, I truly believe that I'm going to change the world because I'm not going to stop till I do. I think one of the things that you know, you, you talk about changing the world and, and just creating an awareness uh, around dyslexia. And, and I think a big part of that is just sharing your own journey and being open and being authentic and being real and raw. And, and you talk about uh, your experience back in grade nine and what that was like and what that kind of felt like as a, as a young boy experiencing all these different things. Can you take us back to you know, what you see in the documentary is, was one of the worst days of your life. Yeah, you know, you know, dyslexia is one in five and it's hereditary. So we're born with our right brains wired differently. So we, we struggle from the first time we pick up that book hmm. and, you know, going into uh, freshman year in the U S or grade nine, you're you know, really cool. Well, we're with the big boys. We're in high school. I'm uh, pretty excited trying to figure out the stairwells, which way am I going? And, you know, getting to English class and the teacher asked me to, to read in front of class, stand up. Well, you know, dyslexics can't read out loud. Well, I'm reading words that aren't on the page. Now you've got the whole class, all your peers laughing at you. And it, like I said, it, in the documentary, it was the worst day of my life. I play it all the time, every day, you know, through my head. And, you know, I'm here to change the world, I never want a kid to feel the way I do every single day. And that's why I do what I do. Hmm the the part of that story that really hit home for me was the part that you said you know there's no such thing as like a class clown or a bully like there there's always a reason why like there's there's always you know if you, if you go under that layer there's there's a layer of hurt there's a layer of pain there's a layer of something and usually uh you know the that 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 person's calling out for help in a way um what 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 was your thoughts? I mean, you, you even talked about being a bully. Like what was talk about that and and, and perhaps even because I want I want to share your experience that 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 other people are 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 in that position. There's there's other kids that are out there right now that are hurting and are are hurt or in pain and they need to be loved up and 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 in, in instead of ridiculed and and, and 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 said to be wrong so you know where were you at those days you know being a bully yeah 100 percent. and you're right you know if you're a class clown you're making people laugh you know you're laughing at you but you don't know what's inside and you know i turned the other way you know i've been you know, I, this height since i was 13 so i was bigger than everybody else 
So I was a bully. Yeah, 100% I was. And at that point in time, I didn't know I was dyslexic. I just thought I was dumb, stupid, and lazy were the three words teachers called me. Mm. So, you know, all these kids laughing at me. Guess what? Now I'm going to bully you because you're laughing at me. I can't handle it. I'm dumb. That's how what I actually thought. I was dumb. And, you know, how do I get back at them? You know, being this size, you know, was, you know, was a bully. I wasn't the funny guy. I, you know, I was the bully. I wasn't stealing lunch money. But, you know, I was saying things and, you know, I, I was mean, you know, downright mean. And to know that I affected somebody, some people's lives like that now, it, you know, it pains me. And that's why, you know, I'm upfront and honest because if I don't tell the way it is, nobody's going to understand it. Nobody's going to connect their dot. But there's no such thing as a class clown or bully. There's 100% a reason why. Agreed. And, you know, it just again to to i guess have have empathy um and be open to those kids that that are that are acting out um you know my my only experience with with kind of acting out and and i talk about the year that i had the most penalty minutes in my in my career was was after a summer that my mom passed away and i got traded and I had all kinds of hurt and pain. And so I ended up in St. John's Newfoundland and took a whole bunch of, of, of anger out on the ice and then escaped off the ice through alcohol. So, you know, there's when, when, when you look at that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just kind of, um, you know, want to, want to not dance around that point that people that are, that are hurt or in pain, or, or acting out or a bully that there there's, there's usually a, a, a deeper piece to that. And, you know, and, and, and even, you know, I did find a little bit of, of release uh, just by being at the rink, not, not having to worry about, about anything else or, or, or think about things so much. Uh, and I, I know that was, that was your experience. What tell us about, uh, you know, what, what hockey meant to you while you were going through all that? You know, you know, you want to touch on the last point, guess, you know, life's not easy. You know, I'm still 43, you know, my body's 63, my brain's 73. I'm still trying to figure it out. Never mind a kid, you know, a, you know, a kid in grade five or grade six. So this is where the education of the teachers need to do a better job of understanding that. Like I said, it's, I'm still trying to learn life. How is a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, you know, 14-year-old going to know what it is? You know, so this is where that empathy and and taking that little extra second to to understand where you know where they're coming from because life life isn't easy and um, you know to your first point is if I didn't have hockey I promise you I'd be dead you know um, hockey wasn't a job it was a lifeline it was the only place I could get my self esteem mm. you know when you struggle at reading which is normal for everybody you look left and right in your classroom everybody else can do it why can't I I'm dumb. What do I got? You know, so I started struggling from the time I woke up, knowing that I got to go to school. Now I'm going to get laughed at all day long. So my self-esteem just went down all day long, all day long. And, I, and the only time I felt good was, was on the ice because I knew I didn't have to answer a math question or read out loud or get laughed at. And that's the only place I was, wanted to be, is, is, on, the, is on the ice rink. It didn't matter if it was minus 40 or 90. I was going to be out there because that was the only place that I felt okay about who I was. Mm. 
I mean, even even the part you mentioned, you know, just being 43, like I, I'm 41, I'm still figuring it out. And even, you know, I mentioned my my challenging time in St. John's, I was 23. And at that time, I had the mentality of, oh, I'm an adult now. You know, I should be, I'm a man. I should be able to, should be able to, to get through this, or I should know what I'm doing. And, you know, I think that message is for, for anyone. Cause I think kids can even feel that way too. Oh, like I'm a teenager. I, sh I shouldn't be, you know, I should have, I should have learned this already, or, you know, you're, you're constantly, um, or perhaps, you know, measuring yourself against others. It's, I think that, that that speaks volumes that that were were it's a lifelong process it's lifelong learning and 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 no matter what age you are whatever circumstance you're in just the 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 ability to reach out for help and to and to um you know just love yourself enough to go go find that help um the one thing you can't be perfect at is yourself because every day something new comes up, there's a new challenge and you have to evolve. You know, you can be perfect hockey player, you can be perfect at whatever, but you'll never be perfect at yourself. Because if you don't self-evaluate and change and react and adapt to, to life, to everything that's going on. Yeah, like you talked about when you're 23. I, I ruled the world when I was 23, just ask me, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, you know, back in the day, didn't even have a cell phone, looking for call waiting, but I thought I ruled the world. But yeah. every day is every day is a challenge to evaluate yourself to to figure out where you need to get better. Absolutely, just you know, ha having having that awareness, having having that that self awareness and 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 self love and and just being kind to yourself. So you know, going through your process, uh, can you share what what and when? um where you were and and how it was when when you got diagnosed you actually found out what was what what was uh uh what your challenges were so uh, it was about 10 years ago um my daughter was 18 now uh she was struggling she was in uh, in grade one got into grade two and we took her in to see a neuropsych um so there's a two-day testing uh for the neuropsych came back for uh, the evaluation and, you know, the answers to what, what was going on and we're going through it. I'm like, every answer, that was me. That was me. That was me. So I was 33 years old and that was the first time I've ever heard the words dyslexia. Hmm. What is that? You know, never heard that. So if my daughter didn't get this, you know, diagnosed, I still wouldn't know today. So I was thankful that we figure out what was going on for her. I didn't care about myself. I didn't focus on myself. I just wanted to make sure she was okay and, and get the help. You know, a light bulb went off and said, okay, maybe I'm not stupid. There, there is something there, but I was not, not a lost cause. My focus was just on my daughter and making sure she was okay. Where were you when, when that went down? That was here in, uh, in Chicago. And, um, it, it's just amazing how the dots have connected from, you know, from that day. And, you know, going through school, I, today I still think 20, less than 20% of the world really knows what dyslexia is. So am I going to get mad at teachers, you know, 25 years ago, you know, they didn't figure out what was going on? Absolutely not. They, they you know, they're doing the best they can because they didn't know what it was. But uh, you know, I was just happy for my daughter. You know, she's a freshman or, or, you know, going into college this year and she's doing great. So that was my only focus was to making sure she was okay. 
and I'm like dyslexia. I can't even spell that. What you know? What is that? Um, so we were diagnosed with dyslexia, dysgraphia, which is a writing disorder that goes along with it, and ADHD. So it connects some dots for me for sure. But I was just happy to make sure that she was okay. And, and you know, pieces came together here after I got sober, and then I had to go back and take a look at that day again. So you would have been still playing at that time. Correct. Yep. So when you found out, did you, who did you share that with? I don't know if I shared it with anybody. Hmm. My focus was just on, I'm not going to the classroom to write, or I'm not going up to the board to write, or I'm not doing, you know, I'm playing hockey. I continue, you know, diving in front of shots because that's what I do. So the whole school systems that, you know, that kind of reading just, I don't think I, I mentioned it to anybody, uh, you know, turned my focus on my daughter and just, you know, kept doing what I was doing. Like I said, it didn't do much for me. It just, uh, you know, made me you know, more focused on her. And I guess the, my, my curiosity goes to, I guess, you know, you're still playing hockey and, and you, you find this out because there's, there's obviously you talk about, you know, one in five, you know, there, there, there's other hockey players out there that are dealing with this. And what would you say to them? Like who, who could they go to or what, what would your, what would your thoughts be to other potential? I know, and this message is for anyone, but I guess I just want to, you know, just inquire about, you know, because there, there, there's, there's a certain, um, I would think, uh, and I think you even mentioned this in the in the documentary. It's like you don't really want to share anything because you're scared you're going to lose your spot, you're going to lose your job, you're going to get sent down. There, something's wrong with this guy. I'm not going to sign him. Speak to you know maybe somebody, some players out there that might be thinking this might be something that they're dealing with. What would you have to say to those guys? You know, if you got a question, concern, reach out to me. You know. Hmm. Um, my website, brentsoplefoundation.org, you can email or social media or, you know, if you're friends with Libra, you know, get my number. I will help out anybody I can, no matter where, you know, where that is. And you get, you know, if you're, if you have cancer, you want to get it early. Same thing with, same thing with dyslexia or ADHD or, you know, whatever it is. That's okay. This is how God made you. But, you know, I had to go through, you know, hell and high water to, to love myself, to be able to say those words. And, you know, uh, I will help anybody I can, but the one thing with dyslexia, the one where, you know, the key tagline, it says you're not alone. Hmm. No matter what battle you're in, let's go back to St. John's. How alone did you feel during that? You, you felt very alone. Yeah. And, and you know, I think with, with my experience, yeah, I didn't reach out for help. And th there was help available and and i still chose to tough it out well were you ready for my question to you you weren't ready for your help i probably was not no yeah. no because i know for personally i wasn't like when i got there i noticed that you know i just focused on my daughter i wasn't ready and like yeah. i said i had to retire from hockey um crash and burn the drugs and alcohol almost die i had to get sober to be okay with who i am okay yes i struggle at reading Yes, I'm not you know, the smartest thing, but guess what? You know, I can do some other things. Great. And I had to go through a lot to be able to say that. Hmm. 
I want to I want to get to you know the retirement piece and 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 even talking about drugs and alcohol. But one more question, just about like during your career, was there any time in your career that you know you're you're doing chalk talk, you're doing you know meetings with the teams that that it that it almost came up or or that you or things that you would avoid during your career. I've got so many defense mechanisms. It's, you know, it's crazy. Thank goodness. Um, you know, we had video, you know, hockey, there wasn't a lot of drawing on the board, like football, I'd be toast, you know, mm. so it never did come up because, you know, I wasn't up there drawing or writing, uh, or anything like that. So it never came up, but you know, some dyslexics, for example, don't know their lefts and their rights, you know, so there, there's a lot to it. it. You know, thank goodness hockey had the, you know, back in the day, VCRs, me and I are playing together. He had to rewind the tapes. But I didn't have to go up there and write out a sentence or I didn't have to read to the team and, and say, hey, this is what we're, you know, what we're doing. We had coaches to do that. We had video to do that. So it never did come up. And, you know, it, I was so focused on one thing and one thing only. And it was hockey because I was petrified of the real world. So in 2015, you have to enter the real world. You you uh, you were in the KHL. You came back. You played for the Chicago Wolves for a little bit. What was that year like? Because I don't I I don't believe you've played the complete season. What was your retirement? Uh, how did that come about for you? And and what was going through your mind during that time? I wanted to get uh, a thousand professional regular season games here in North America, mm. you know, and I came back to Chicago and, you know, Chicago Wolves were gracious enough to uh, get to sign me and, and let me play. I think I played 25 games or whatever you mentioned. I got my thousand games, played a couple games after, you know, and retired. And mm. I was playing in Russia. I just didn't want to do that in Russia. I wanted to come back and get those thousand game here in, in North America then I hung them up. You know, I couldn't do it anymore. My body hurt too much. Um, everything I had gone through is, you know, thousand regular season games, KHL, been, been everywhere. You know, the bus trips, it was just my body had shut down and it was time. But I wanted to get that thousand games here in North America. It was, you know, it was important to me. Nice. Love it. I love it. And I think any anyone that's seen you play hockey or any highlights of you playing can absolutely understand why your body wouldn't be would would be a little sore after a thousand <laughs> games just an absolute warrior on the ice so you know it, it's uh you know i think it just speaks to the kind of the kind of person you are and, and and where your heart is and and your dedication um and 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 i know after leaving the game, like it's, it is such a, a transition there, and, and so many, so many transitions. It's, you know, a career transition, I believe is, is difficult regardless of the career. And, and, and this, you know, you're so focused on doing one thing your whole life. Um, what was those first, you know, what was the first year like, or first two years like, and, and talk about what you were up to during that time. You know, it was, you know, I don't remember much of it because I was, you know, drinking and doing drugs and, you know, go back to, I basically entered the real world when I was 40 years old. You know, when I was going to school, playing hockey, it's not the real world. And I was only focused on hockey hmm. and I was it, you know, I wasn't focused on anything else. And here I got a learning disorder. 
I have no education. You know, my educate. Yes, I graduated high school, but really, you know, I probably didn't get any more information past grade eight. I don't have work experience. You know, I need to work. I've got four kids. And, you know, got divorced. I needed to work. Nobody would hire me. I couldn't do a resume. What's a resume? You know, the real world's tough enough to enter it after high school, after college. To try being 40 years old with learning disorders, no work experience, no education, nothing. And on top of that, I was told where to be for 40 years. You know, school, you know, starts at 8.30 or whatever, then hockey, practice, bus, planes, trains, everything. We were told where to be. There was a schedule for my whole life till I was four years old. And I was completely lost. And that's when my drug and alcohol abuse really got out of control because I had I, I had nothing else. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what was up, down, left, right. I just went to the went to the drugs and alcohol. And what got you out of that? Uh, I had some family and friends give me an intervention. Hmm. You know, um, turn the corner for uh, for a dinner, and there's some uh, family and friends sitting around a table, and said, "All right, you know, time to go." And, um, if they didn't do that, you know, I definitely want to saw my 40th birthday. I wasn't far off of it. So bless their hearts. I'm here because of them, but they, you know, they saved my life. And that was uh, day one of, you know, a complete transformation of who I am. Total acknowledgement for that. I bet that, uh, you know, I, I, I've also, um, you know, just experienced, <laughs> the 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 bottle and how much you know it's so easy to go to and i i don't want to i talk about you know i don't want to make um the 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 entire hockey world wrong as much as you know there it's there's a little bit of a drinking culture there and and i didn't know how to deal or handle that you know so it was just easy to go to i I think you know trying to get sober you see how much alcohol is in the world hmm True. Everything, you know, you True. take a look, everything, you know, alcohol is involved with everything. So, you know, to your point, you know, it's not, you know, taking a poke at uh, the hockey world. You know, it, you know, the first year I was in bed at 7 p.m. every night and get up at five, work out because at night was when I caused my problems. And, you know, everybody's, hey, come hang out. Well, alcohol was involved in every single thing everywhere. So I had to avoid it for, you know, for a year. Could you speak to what about any uh, help from the league and and how, you know, just, you know, from the perspective of of creating conversation around, you know, helping guys and guys that are, you know, possibly struggling. And, you know, I know there's different programs out there and and from a perspective of, of wanting to have the conversation, add to the conversation and share what's out there. What was your experience with any help from the league? Not at all. You know, um, you know I think the four major sports do a terrible job um, with that because it's a business. You know, they don't care if you're not making the money right now. They don't care about you. You're gone. You're out. You're done. And if it wasn't for my family, you know, putting me uh, you know, into rehab, you know, obviously I wouldn't be here. They talk about a family environment. It's not a family environment. Are you making the money? Yes or no? Are you playing well? Yes. No. Good. You're gone. And they don't care about you. They care about putting the butts in the seats. Are you making the money? And that's that's the bottom line. So 
when I say, guys, you know, if somebody's struggling, reach out, I'll help you. Because, you know, you're not going to get the help back, you know, from the teams that you played with. Would you have any suggestions or or, or any words that, that you would, would want to add to that conversation to make it better? Uh, you know, the problem is it is a business. Oh, you know, I could go on forever. We could have a whole we could have a whole other podcast, of, you know, about this. I think this goes back to um, goes back to early, goes back to junior hockey and um, understanding and, and understanding who you are. You know, not building your life around one thing. You know, let's go back to COVID. You know, I was counseling people around the world. You know, three to four, five, six hours a day during COVID, trying to keep alcohols and drug addicts sober. Because they, uh, you know, got sober one way, and that was taken away. Now go back to you and I. All we had was hockey. That was taken away. What we have, you know. So, um, for me, I definitely, you know, I'm here to help out. You know, I'd love to have a conversation with the NHL. Uh, you know, I've got many ideas of, you know, how to how to bridge that. You know, I've lived it. I've been there. Don't bring in a doctor that uh, hasn't played in the league, hasn't had drug and alcohol problems. And has only got the doctor and you're going to read out of page 12 because they don't understand. You know, it's, I understand it. You understand it. And you know, like I said, I got a whole platform and I'd love to talk to the league about it. Um, at least they're doing a better job of listening to players. You know, I think it's a completely different time frame now than when you and I played. Hmm. I, th- I think things have definitely evolved and and I, f- I feel like they're evolving slowly. I think they could yeah. speed it up a little bit. And, you know, like I, I think you kind of touched on just the idea of how hockey is so much of a focus for, for, for your whole life. And even growing up, I remember, you know, you know, to be only focused on hockey was was the way to make it to to playing professionally. And now. I have a 17 year old that's that's going through a hockey academy and and my from my experience I want him to get interested in other things because I know that hockey will end eventually yeah. and what else are you interested in what else do you like to do so you know I I think part of the conversation for me would be you know to encourage guys to be involved with other things encourage guys yeah. to be interested in other things other than hockey all the time, 24-7? You know, less than 1% ever get to do what I did. I was blessed. God bless me. But the average career of a hockey player is five years. Hmm. So five years, you know, you're done by 25. Now what are you going to do? And I think this goes back to, to junior hockey, where they need to do a better job of educating players and making them aware of that. You're, you're one injury away from, from retiring one concussion away, one knee, you know, there's less of 1% of 1% ever played long enough where they can retire with the money from, from hockey. And what do you have the rest of your life? Five years of hockey. And then you got what, 30, 40, 50 years of, of life of work. And do you have an education? Do you have any idea what you want to do? Or are you just deer in headlights? I absolutely agree. I think the conversation could be an and, not, not necessarily an or, you know, you can definitely pursue and want to play at the highest levels you can. I think that's great. I yeah. think there's a lot of great um, characteristics and stuff that you learn from the game. I think the pure, pure form of hockey is, is, a, is a beautiful thing that teaches you a lot. 
and you're allowed and encouraged to get involved with other things. Oh, 100% couldn't agree more. And again, like you said, um, there's, you have two hands for a reason. Just like, you know, life is going to end. You know, I coached last year and I was joking with my players. I'm like, guys, why do you work out in the summer? Like to get better for hockey. I'm like, no, to look good for the girls. Cause you got to look good forever. And that's, you know, hockey's not going to last forever, but life is. Hmm. Now are you prepared? So you're in, you're in, uh, your, your, your life after hockey. And, and you mentioned, you know, first of all, if, if anybody hasn't seen your documentary, I want them to go and watch it. It's, it's at brentsopelfoundation.org. I think it's on YouTube as well. Yes. Yes. But I would direct you to brentsopelfoundation.org. And, you know, you, you mentioned about, you know, just filling out forms and sending emails and that kind of thing. And I know you and I have gone back and forth, even through text messages. And, and I know there's also, I was learning that there's different, different levels of dyslexia. And, 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 you know, sometimes I'm not the best speller. And, and so, you know, I guess how, how do you um, just curious, how, how do you, how do you deal with things now with, with, with those different challenges in your life? Yeah, you're right. There's different severities in you of dyslexia and you know, the most severe dyslexics will never read a day in their life. Hmm. You know, for me, um, reading comprehension. So if I'm reading something, I got to focus so hard. I don't remember what I read or if I get to a big word, um, if it doesn't sound out and spell the same, I won't get it. Everything's all by memorization. Uh, so I just avoid reading. You know, I'm not going to lie. I just try and avoid as, as much as I can. And uh, I've got millions of defense mechanisms of trying to get around it. You know, I'll spell words my way so it makes sense to me. But if I showed it to you, be like, dude, what is that? You know, sounding it out, I'll spell it that way. Um, so you talked about, you know, paperwork, you know, the fear of the clipboard. You walk into a doctor's office and they hand you 20 pages. I'll hand it back and walk out because the anxiety that gives me, uh, just thinking that I have to sit there and go line by line and, and fill it out. I spend more time on my phone uh, when I'm writing an email to figure out if I spelled it right. And then, you know, writing that email. And so corporate America and me, we don't get along well. There's also a piece in the documentary that you talk about, or just it's mentioned like that smart people are dyslexic. Explain what that means. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, I love that. You know, part. obviously, <laughs> they all think that we're dumb and stupid and lazy. Those are the three words we heard growing up just because we can't do the simple things. So 30 to 40% of the self made millionaires are dyslexic. Because uh, we think differently, and you know, a few a few points. Like if I'm driving down the highway, I will tell you every single license plate that I drive by, or the car that drives by me. Hmm. So that's where my brain's always focusing out there. Um, it's never in a straight line. It's always outside the box thinking. So, like I said, we're born with a right brain wired differently, and you guys read with your left side of your brain. We start with our right, and it crosses over. But the you know the stigmatism is that we're you know that we're dumb. Well, most of them are, we're on the higher of the IQ, but we just can't do the simplest things. And like I said, thirty to forty percent of the self-made millionaires are dyslexic. Thomas Edison, I think he might have created something you know decently. Uh, you know Steve Jobs, you got some amazing you know Kobe Bryant, you know he was dyslexic. 
um, you know, obviously myself, not very, you know, the list goes on. Tom Cruise, Jennifer Aniston. Um, it's one in five. Very, very successful people. If you get down the right path, they get diagnosed. But the also the other part of that is 50% of people in prison in the world have dyslexia. Yeah, that that is is really um, that's an intense thought. I mean, and even it, it all. I think for me, it also comes back to you know making it wrong. So you're talking about just how your brains work differently, and and your brain might work differently that you know can't read um, a language that we've created as humans to to operate in our world it you know the the idea of of just brains operating differently and and obviously those brains um can can produce a lot of successful quote-unquote successful things and and all those people that you mentioned um you know the brent sopel foundation that i that i mentioned um to educate and to support um and and the documentary um, here to change the world. The, the, one of the last things I just want to uh, add and ask you, there's a couple young hockey players, a couple young gentlemen on, on the documentary, Kate Oliver and, and Jack Rodman. And these young men, you're going to see it because you're going to go watch the documentary, how they voice their appreciation for you and, and for what you're doing and, and for even just your voice speaking up to make them feel comfortable that I'm not alone. And, and I think um, Jack Rodman even used the words changed my life. Brent Sobel has changed my life. What does that mean to you? It means more to me than ever putting on the skates in the Stanley cup. Uh, I talk about my legacy and I want my foundation to be that legacy. And, you know, I talk about here to change the world because that's what I want. Jack, Cade, every kid that's struggling right now, every parent that's lost and don't know what to do. Uh, we talked about the platform. This is what's allowing me to do this. Like hockey means absolutely nothing to me. Helping and having a conversation, um, another human being, you know, there's nothing better than getting off the phone or a meeting or a conversation and seeing a smile rather than a frown. I, I, that just reminded me of a piece in the documentary as well that you talked about selling your Stanley Cup ring and and how you know you just mentioned how much this this means to you and and you know there was a time that and that you felt that emptiness can you can you just share that story quick before we go yeah 100% you know i didn't love myself so yes i'm i'm holding the Stanley Cup but guess what? Back to the class clown bully. No, nobody knew what was in here. There was nothing. And, you know, the Stanley Cup ring, yeah, I've, I've almost sold it two or three times. Why? Because I needed the money. And nobody will hire me because I didn't have the education. Uh, you know, go back to 50% of the people in prison. You know, if we can't read, guess what? How do you get a job? How do you fill out a resume? If you're bad at math, there's a job for you. So, you know, um, that's why I'm here. That's why I tell you, tell the way it is. So everybody knows they're not alone. You know, I'm in the fight with them and I'll continue to fight uh, tooth and nail every day to educate the world, change the world and just be there for anybody who needs me. 
Well, you are changing the world, in my opinion, and and just continuing on to to share and educate. And I I, I am very uh, honored to have you as as a guest on on this podcast. You were definitely. Um, I put together a wish list of, of people that I wanted to talk to when I when I had this idea, and you were you were on that list. Um, so just want to acknowledge you and and what you have been creating um because i know this is just the beginning um you know i know you as 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 a hockey player and i know that the world is going to know you as an advocate for dyslexia and um you know everyone brentsopelfoundation.org um can also find you on twitter and instagram brent underscore sopel uh any final thoughts uh before we go no, I thank you for having, you know, you're doing, you're doing the same thing, changing the world and, you know, one person at a time. So uh, I'm awesome to see you. It's been too long and, you know, proud of the work that you, you've put in and, and got here today and you know, evolving to where you are. And it's just an honor to be on here with you. Well, thank you very much. Soaps, you were absolutely uh, a courageous warrior on the ice and absolutely more of a courageous warrior off the ice. My hat's off to you. Appreciate this. And yeah, we can, I'd, I'd love to have you back anytime. Anytime. I'm always yours. All right. Thanks, Soaps. Thanks, buddy. He really is a courageous warrior. Soaps, I want to acknowledge your openness, your honesty, and your authenticity. And I also want to acknowledge the remorse that you have felt for the bullying that you were responsible for. I do believe that you are changing the world and I see that you have done a lot of work and changed yourself first. And I commend you for all of that. I highly recommend everyone go to brentsopelfoundation.org and watch the Here to Change the World documentary. And you don't have to take my word for it that Brent Sopel is definitely making an impact. Listen to the words of Kate Oliver and Jack Rodman. They have some pretty impactful statements. And that concludes this week's episode. I want to thank today's guest, Brent Sopel. I want to thank the Hockey Podcast Network, and I want to thank you, the listener. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brad M. Lieb. Please share your thoughts. Please share your suggestions. And if you have got any value, please subscribe or rate on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. That is how others will find us. And until next time, keep going and enjoy your life. See you next time.